Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Glad to have you with us. My name is Alan, and um, uh, once again, just want to uh, welcome you. Uh, how many of you remember a few years back when Beth Wolf was, was here on staff with us? Some of you, okay. Beth was a uh, young woman who was uh, a family pastor here. She was a youth, uh, youth pastor, and then she oversaw family ministry. Great gal. She uh, went, over, went back to Maryland to uh, where her family is from, and she's uh, leading uh, her own church over there. Uh, but uh, Beth was uh, unique and wonderful in a number of different ways. One of the things that she was unique about, I never met anybody who wanted to teach barefoot, that that was really important to her, and so that it was most comfortable for her to teach barefoot. And so I decided that this morning uh, I wanted to give it a shot and find out what the appeal is to teaching barefoot. Now, this is the third service here this morning. So far, not much appeal. <laughs> kind of low on the appeal uh, part of that day. But the reason I'm, I'm giving this a shot is that this morning we're talking about our feet. We're talking about um, the, the fact that our feet are the things that, that decide which direction we're heading. That, that our feet and these little toes, the direction that they head, that's the direction that you're going to go. Yes, it's possible to sidestep and have your toes facing in a different direction, but 99.9% .9 of the time, our toes, our feet, head in the direction that we want to go, and we get to decide what that direction is. Last week, I started this brief two-week series called Go. Go and make disciples. And the idea is that this is a command from Jesus, our King, our Lord, our commander, who says, go and make disciples of all nations. Last week, we looked at the reality that, that we go for them, that there's a part of this command that is for the benefit of those we're going to, whether it's in the city or somewhere else in the country or somewhere else in the world, we go for them, that God wants to bring food or love or compassion or the message of Jesus to other people and that we go for them on their behalf, etc. That's what we talked about last week. Today, I want to flip that around a little bit and just remind us that we go, we engage with this stuff, we respond to this command from Jesus for us, that there's also a part of this thing that has a major impact on our own hearts, our own, our own souls, that Jesus has set us up to say, I want you to go, and it's for them, and it's also for you. That's a significant part of why we go. When we go and we see the world that God sees, we see a glimpse of the world that God sees, it changes everything for us. It's a significant part of our spiritual journey. So we're going to talk about going for us, and we're going to do that Beth Wolf style here today. So would you bow your heads with me? I want to pray as we head into this. God, I do pause, and I thank you for the mission. I thank you, God, that we are here. We are here in this place. We get to gather in these seats because of your mission, that over 2,000 years, people have pursued you and went out to continue to make disciples of all nations, so we sit here because of the mission that you've called us to. And God, it's an ongoing mission, and so it's something that you continue to want us to be a part of. And I thank you that not only have we received the blessing of your mission, but we have the opportunity to be part of it going forward. I pray that uh, this morning you would help us see what, what happens to us in our hearts 
when we participate, when we go. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you would say that you have beautiful feet? How many of you? Okay, okay, we got a few. Uh, no, nobody? Okay, a few in the back there. Okay, very much appreciate your honesty. I know it's, you know, it's kind of big room and all that. Very much appreciate your honesty. I don't, I don't mean any offense to you or your feet. I've never met your feet, uh, but I have a hard time believing that that's true. I'm just, I'm just saying, I just think that, that, that feet are ugly, that God, and it's not just an opinion, that's just, that's just, that's a, that's a universal truth, that feet are ugly, that God made lots of beautiful things, but he also made the naked mole rat, that there are some things that, that God made that there's not, it's not a lot of argument in terms of whether or not this thing is beautiful, and feet are ugly. I don't care how much you scrape them and oil them and polish them and go to the foot factory place and, and whatever you do there. I don't care how much paint you put on them or how, if, even if you get a little tattoo on, on, on a little pinky there, it's still feet are disgusting. I was going to help make my case today by showing images up on the screen because I looked up, if I googled ugly feet, I almost got nauseous looking at some of the pictures that came up. And so I thought, I can't do that in church. Even I have a line that I will not cross. Um, and that's a line because I care about you. I'm not going to put those images up on the screen just to make my point that feet are disgusting. Uh, I have a, 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 a my youngest is a, is a girl and she is, um, she's young and she's wonderfully tolerant. You know how, 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 Kids, the younger they are, the more tolerant they are of things that we think are disgusting as we get older. You know, it's kids who, who, who kind of hang on your feet and love all this kind of stuff. It's my daughter. When I come home from a run and I'm just oozing an odor, everyone else in the house is keeping their distance. It's my daughter and only my daughter who will come up and give me a hug. But when she sees the bottom of my cracked, uh, flaky, disgusting feet, even she is repulsed and she has every right to be because feet are disgusting. I have a friend who has, who has a set of toes on each foot that are permanently crossed. Have you ever seen this? I don't know how they fit into shoes and all, whether they have to align. I don't know how that all works. I could show you a picture of it, but again, it would be difficult to put that up on the screen. You can Google it if you want, but it's a real thing. It's, and so for my friend, it's almost like he walks around wishing for something to happen. He, he just walks around because his feet are, are, are always crossed. Feet are disgusting. And all I've been talking about here today so far are modern American feet. Let me take you back to, to when this was written, that 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, their feet were even more disgusting. Okay, they didn't have shoes to protect and keep their feet soft. They had maybe little cheap sandals or they walked around barefoot. So their feet were always dusty, always dirty. Could you imagine the calluses on the bottom of their feet by just walking around on rocks and sand and, and dirt and, and stone uh, all day for their whole lives? Can you imagine the calluses on the bottom of their feet? And in order to build those calluses, what kind of cuts and, and, and perforations and infections there would have been 
on the bottom of their feet. Am I disgusting you yet? Kind of inviting you in? Okay, this is why it was so profound in that culture. It was so important that a great host would take somebody in and a servant would wash the feet of someone coming into a home. That was, it was part of the system and it was such an honoring thing. And it's why it was such a shocking thing as part of the Holy Week. When Jesus gathered with his disciples, Jesus, the Messiah, the rabbi, the king picks up a towel and a wash basin and goes down to wash the dirty, infected, disgusting, dusty feet of the disciples. And that's why Peter said, no, no, you can't touch my feet. Even he thought they were disgusting. Peter gets it. Feet are disgusting. And that's why it was so incredible what Jesus had done there in that moment. And so it's a pretty dramatic thing when Paul says in the New Testament, he says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. He calls feet beautiful. That's from Romans chapter 10. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn there with me. I'm going to take a look at a a few verses that lead up to that phrase that Paul says. Romans chapter 10. I referenced this last week as I talked about, we go for them. I referenced this verse. I I just kind of referenced it real quickly, but I want to go back into it and read that verse today and how that leads up to Paul's words about feet. Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 13, Paul writes, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then? Can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? Paul's a very logical guy as he walks us all out. And again, that's what we talked about last week, that, that we go for them, that, that people aren't going to hear about the, the good news of Jesus unless somebody goes and tells them. And so this is very much in line with Jesus saying, go and make disciples of all nations. Paul took this very seriously, not just in what he wrote here, but in what he did with his life. He went to tell people about Jesus. And then he says, second half of verse 15, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, It says, as it is written, most of the time that we read that phrase, as it is written, it means it comes from the Old Testament. It comes from the Hebrew scriptures. And that is the case uh, here with this one. Paul was very familiar with these words from the Old Testament. Paul was a Jewish man. He refers to himself at one point as a Hebrew of Hebrews. Very Jewish man, very familiar with the book of Isaiah from uh, from the Old Testament. In Isaiah chapter 52 the prophet is addressing those who were in exile in Babylon. So what happened with the people of God at this point in in ancient history is they were warned that if they didn't turn back to God, they would get kicked out of their own city. They would get kicked out of the promised land. And that's what happened. They got kicked out of Jerusalem, kicked out of the region, Judea, kicked out of that area by the Babylonians. And, And many of them were sent back to Babylon. So Isaiah is talking in 52 saying, how beautiful are the feet of those who get to go to the people in Babylon 
and tell them after years and years and years of being exiled away from your home city, being able to go back and tell them, you get to go home. It's now time for you to go home. What glorious news that would have been. Incredible news. So Isaiah says, how beautiful are the feet of those who get to share those words. So this isn't actually about feet. It's not the feet that are beautiful. That in this story from Isaiah, it's not the feet that are beautiful. It's the message. It's the news that they get to carry. That's what makes it beautiful. So what happens is Paul reaches into the Isaiah 52, pulls that verse that he's very familiar with, and he then attaches it to Jesus. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news of Jesus? And it is good news. It's great news. It's better news than you could possibly imagine that what Paul's referring to here. It's the, it's the message of Jesus. It's better news than you could possibly fathom. And that's why many over the centuries have struggled with the news of Jesus, with the message of Jesus. That it just seems too good to be true. That, that, that Jesus has come and we get all this grace and all this love and all this forgiveness and we don't have to do anything. It's not about us. It's not about what we do at all. And we get to spend eternity with our creator. That's just too good to be true. And our brains are hardwired to reject something that's too good to be true. We just have a thing that just says, if, 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 it, if it's too good to be true, then, then if it seems too good to be true, then I should walk away from it. A number of years ago, I was looking to buy an old Volkswagen and I found one in Chicago and I don't know if it was on the, on, on the internet somehow, maybe it was Craigslist, I'm not sure, but I found one in, up in Chicago that was super sweet. I mean, this was, they had about 50 photos of it and it was perfect. It was immaculate and the price was very low and I'm just blown away. I think, how could, how could this possibly be? So I contact the guy and he sends me this long email telling me the story of why this old Volkswagen is so underpriced. He says, I know it's underpriced and he, and he, and he walked it all out in the email saying to me that that, uh, that, that he is in the military and he's about to, to head out overseas and he just needs to get some money quickly for this. He needs to make the transaction quickly. So he says, Here, here's, what, here's what you need to do. Send a check to this third-party company that, that, that is not about me. It's about some third-party party. You can go to their website and see how reputable they are. And you send a check to them. I will send you the bus at my expense. He says, this is him speaking. I'll send you the bus from Chicago to Phoenix at my expense. You have two weeks to look at it. If you don't like it for any reason, if there's anything, any concern or whatever, you can ship it back at my expense, at his expense. He'll take care of it being shipped back and then I won't even have to pay anything. And if I do like it and think, wow, this is an amazing deal, then all we need to do is contact the third party and they will clear the check so that it would go to the seller. I would get the, the Volkswagen, he would get the money, everybody's happy. That's called a scam, okay? That's called a, 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 a clear, absolute scam. And those of us in our culture that, you know, we're warned as you're interacting on the internet, make sure you're aware of these kind of things happening and you're not sending checks to third-party companies that you're not aware of, et cetera. Why? Because we understand if it seems too good to be true, it probably is too good to be true. And they warn you on this stuff. If it, if it just kind of seems unreasonably amazing, then just stay away from it because it's not true. 
And so some of us respond to Jesus in that way, saying, it just, it just seems too easy. It just seems too amazing that there would be a God that offers that kind of love and forgiveness for us, for me, in light of all of my background and all of, all of my baggage and all of my mistakes and all of my thoughts, et cetera, et cetera. And so there's a resistance uh, to this. And Paul says, it, it, it is so amazing that even the people who, that the people who just share this news of this, this good news, they actually have, and this is astonishing, they actually have beautiful feet. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring that hard to imagine good news. When we go, when, when we point our feet in a certain direction, point our toes in a certain direction and go and see parts of the world that God sees that we don't normally come across, whether that's another part of the city, another part of the country, another part of the world, when we go, then, then we're the ones that get changed, that get transformed. And it's a significant part of the spiritual growth journey. One of the things that happens that I think is so connected to the, to the beautiful feet part is that we go and beauty gets redefined. It's, you know, we think feet are disgusting. And, and so Paul says, but they're beautiful if they're bringing the good news of Jesus. That when we go and we see things that God sees, sees we see a little bit more of a picture of God's overall plan. The definition of beauty gets reformatted. That we, in our culture, we are imprinted with the idea that beauty is, is, is young and fashionable and, um, and clean and, and has this, this perfection about it from all our magazines and movies and all that. that. That's what beauty looks like. And we have an aversion to, perhaps even a repulsion towards things that are, that are, that are dirty, people who are unkept and unshowered and smelly, et cetera. And that, so there's beauty over here and then there's not beauty over there. But when we go and we see a portion of the world that God sees, beauty gets redefined. And so beauty then might come in the form of a six-year-old girl with dirty, matted, disgusting hair with lice in it. I remember a number of years ago, I was on a mission trip where um, we were visiting families that were living in dump sites. They were actually living in the dumps. And so families would just rummage around. That's how they survived, is they would take food that is garbage from a third world country. And, and there was this one little girl who had obvious lice in her hair. And she just, she just walked around. She's about six years old with black hair. And she just, she just looked up at me with this huge smile ear to ear as I was playing peekaboo with her. And so you're just looking at I didn't speak the language, but you're just kind of doing this and interacting with her a little bit. And you just see this, there's this beauty in something that, that, that in other areas from another angle just does, looks like the opposite of beauty. And so beauty can get redefined when we go and we see some of what God sees. You might go to Rocky Point and, and see the looks on the faces of a family that gets into their, uh, their, something that they've never had before in their life. They and generations have, have never had an actual home with solid walls and a door that locks. 
And so to watch this family go in, walk, walk into this, it's not a very big home, but go into this home that is actually theirs, and you just kind of go, there's, there's a new definition of beauty here. When we go and we see some of the world from God's perspective, we get a new perspective. We see things differently. We have a different filter for our own lives. It's such a common thing for people to come back from trips like that and they see their own home and their own cars and their own clothes and their own uh, just running water and flushing toilets and all of that. There's a filter that just has us see the world differently. It's a new perspective. It's a new filter through which we see everything in life. And you can't buy that filter. You can't buy that filter. You can't get that filter from a sermon, from any book. Even Amazon does not have that kind of filter. The only place you can get that filter is when you go to places like Rocky Point and Honduras and Lebanon and India and wherever God may call you to just go and see what God sees. Let me tell you, if, if you feel like you're stuck in a rut in your spiritual journey, whatever that might look like, however you would define that, if you just feel like, ah, stuck in a rut and you've never gone to see some of these places here in Phoenix, in the country, around the world, I just invite you to consider opening that part of your life because it'll change everything. When we go and we see what God sees, even the ugliest things can become beautiful. <laughs> How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. See, what happens is we not only see things differently, but we also see ourselves differently. That there's, there's something that happens, there's something beautiful that happens in us when we go. Oftentimes, people who go on these kinds of trips, they find themselves doing things that they've never done before. Maybe that's ziplining over a huge waterfall. Ah, that's crazy, I've never done this. And the security is probably not all sanctioned by all you know, organizations in the United States. Yeah. And you're kind of doing all this stuff or you're jumping off cliffs or whatever. People often do you know, crazy things. Things like, like leading a study, leading a Bible study or sharing your understanding of a, of a chapter from Romans with a group of people, whether it's kids or adults or whatever, and going, I've never done that before. I've never done that before. I'm doing it with an interpreter. I've never done anything like this before. Some people go on a group, uh, go on a trip, and then there's a group that meets every night as part of the team that goes, and, and you gather and you share your experience, and somebody might pray as a part of that group out loud in the setting of, of, of a group of other people. People often say things like, I've never done that before. I've never prayed out loud with a group of people. There's something about adventures like this where people are courageous enough to try new things. From my experience, people who go on trips like this, they get to see a better version of themselves. They get to witness and enjoy a better version of themselves, a version that is, that is less stressed out by all the pressures of life in Phoenix, a version that is less preoccupied with our appearance and, you know, what, whether things match and how our hair looks and all that. A version that is, that is less caught up in vices. Um, you know, when, when you go and you're just, you're just not caught up in Netflix, 
You're not caught up in TV shows and getting spun around on that. You don't have your phone. You're not worried about your phone. You're not on your phone the whole time. You're not doing social media. There's a better version of yourself because you're free from that stuff. You're free from uh, alcohol, from gossip, because there's nothing to gossip about. You're just kind of enjoying whatever God's doing in that place. You're just kind of free from so many of these things. We get to experience a better version of ourselves, a version that perhaps does a whole lot of manual work, hard work, maybe something that, that some of us in our regular jobs just don't find ourselves doing that much or that kind of thing. Maybe we find ourselves working with and and laughing with and eating with a group of people that we never seem to interact with here in Ahwatukee, here in Chandler. A group of people who are, who, are, who are different than us, that we just don't have the opportunity to interact with, but on a trip like that, we're one. We're together. There is no us and them, uh, et cetera. There is no division. There's just kind of this, this gathering. It just kind of goes... There's just this better version that we get to experience. For those of you who've, who've ever been on a, what's typically called a mission trip. So some kind of trip where you go to some other part of the country or some other part of the world for the purpose of either sharing the love of Jesus or showing the love of Jesus. For any of you who have ever gone on any trip like that, whose sole purpose was to do that, with this church or any other church, any other part, for any of you who have ever been on any trip like that, think about that trip. Did you like the version of yourself on that trip? Did you like who you were on that trip? Did you like what you did? Did you like how you thought, how you treated people, the memories that you made? What about that trip do you remember, do you enjoy, did you like about yourself? These kinds of, when we go and we respond, it does something huge inside us, for us, through us. But you don't have to take my word for it. I, I want to do another uh, talk show kind of uh, scene here, as I did last week, and invite up two more of our um, of our outreach leaders here as a, as a part of our church. And the first one is a gentleman who has been doing the Honduras trip for 11 years straight. So would you please welcome Mr. Patrick Ching. Everybody, Patrick Ching. Come on now, have a seat. Thank you, good morning. 11 years ago, You've been, you, did this, you started this 11 years ago, so what happened that made you enter into this? Yeah, so 12 years ago, my wife went on her first mission trip to Honduras, um, girlfriend at the time, and came back with amazing photos and stories, and it was a life-changing experience for her. So to see that transformation and to get a personal invite from her to go on the 2008 trip um, has been a blessing to me. And so that's where I got to go out in 2008 and, ha and take my own photos and be part of my own experience and stories um, in Honduras. So you were, you, were, you were chasing after God. Yes. And you were chasing after the girl. Well, I mean, it was, just be honest. God put the girl in my life. It was life, a mixture, so yes. and God, God used that in a profound way. Okay. Yes. So you've been going for 11 years. Yes. And uh, you haven't missed one. I have not. And so wh why do you make that kind of commitment? What, what does it do for you in your heart? 
Yeah, like you said this morning, uh, it, uh, there's a certain fire, you know, that, that it lights. I would say it's a spiritual recharge is the words that I came up with this morning. And just being there, seeing the Holy Spirit uh, work through all the people in the colony of San Jorge, one of the colonies we work with, and just to be a part of that, to see that they're very content with what they have. They praise God for everything that they have. And to be there, you know, we're, we're there giving, we're serving. You know, my arms are open, my wallet's open, we're, we're giving. And I think what took me by surprise is just when my arms are open giving, just how much God loaded back up on me. And so, of course, you come back from a trip like that and, you know, you're all revved up and, and charged and, you know, makes you want to do so much more here, you know, step out of your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. So can you think of a, of a, of a specific example where some person or moment or story has had an impact on you? Yeah, I can think of uh, probably a few, but there's, there's one young man in, in particular. We met him, I think, eight, nine years ago, and he was just this young kid that kept coming to the job sites year after year. Um, you know, language barrier between us, so it was, you know, hi, how are you doing, and that's about it. But he'd always come up for a hug and a high five every year, and he'd always ask to take the shovel, and he'd always participate in all of our job sites. Turns out he wasn't on staff down there. He wasn't being paid. He was just a member of the church and community that wanted to serve. And a few years in, we finally asked the pastor, what's this, what's this kid's story? And basically, he's just trying to stay out of the gang's reach. He's trying to stay off of drugs. So he's trying to immerse himself in the church and, and the work that the church is doing down there. And in doing so, the church was unable to pay him but they were providing food for him and his mom. So really, he was there volunteering, you know, for food for him and his mom. And so we asked why, and part of it is the education system down there. They will provide, the government will provide education to about sixth grade. And so we found out that it costs $400 per student to go after sixth grade, which is money they don't have. So again, my wife and I are like, oh, let's, again, give and give. And so after knowing him for five or six years, we got him back to school, and he just completed his GED uh, last, last month, actually. And, um, and again, it's, it's easy to say, right? I just I give the money. That's, that's easy. But I actually got to go to his graduation, and the light in his eyes, right, was just like God shining a light into my heart, you know, just charged me up to, to sponsor more students and, and to do more here back home as well. That's awesome. I know you guys wanted to clap for that. That's pretty awesome. <clears throat> And you, you have benefited from that so much that every year you say, we're going to go again, we're going to go again. And I know it comes at great cost to you in terms of time and resources, and you're, you're committed to it. Yeah, definitely. Um, but again, it's it, just, just to stress, it, it is a life-changing experience. You know, you come back and you step out of your comfort zone. You get asked up on stage to do things like this. <laughs> um, but also, this year, we actually had a revelation where my wife and I decided had an opportunity to apply for a grant, nothing that we ever thought or dreamed of could be part of this ministry. And so we applied just after February um, to help the children's ministry in Honduras, and we found out just a couple weeks ago that we received that money. I believe the church already has it in their funds. So again, just, just doing something outside of your normal uh, life and activities, God's put that there for a reason. And now again, our, our network is growing, and the extended family in Honduras is growing, and, and will continue to grow because of that. Outstanding. Thanks for sharing with us, Patrick. Thank you. 
We have a second special guest, and this young man is connected with the Rocky Point ministry. We've talked about that a little bit last week, but we want to get another perspective from someone who's connected with that ministry. Would you please welcome Mr. Nick Lay? Come on up here, Nick. Yeah. All right. Now, uh, he is a veteran, a veteran uh, Rocky Pointer which is interesting because he barely looks old enough to vote. And so how did, how did that happen? How long ago was it for you that you got connected with Rocky Point? Um, so it was about four years ago, I believe. It was my sophomore year of high school. And for the November trip, my mom gave me a couple weeks advance notice that she signed me up for a mission trip in Rocky Point. And I didn't really have a choice, and I wasn't that thrilled. But All right, thanks for sharing. That's good. That's, that's good. That's good. But anyways, um, I, I went on it, and it was just something I had never experienced before. And it was just, it was just amazing, and it made me want to come back and again and again and again. And since then, I've gone on seven more after that, eight straight trips in total. So, eight yeah. straight trips. So here's, here's a busy young man, and he's got to carve out this time to do this, and you've prioritized going on, on these trips. Why? What has it done to your heart? What has it done in, in, you, in you, through you, whether it's a story or something? Help paint a picture of why this is so valuable for you. Um, so it's, yeah, I, I, I definitely have a busy schedule that's only gotten busier, but this has always been a priority for me because... It's just it's something about going to another country and, and, and working with God-loving people and somewhere that we're not all comfortable with or used to and being out of our comfort zone. It's just there's a, there's a joy in it that, that I've never experienced anywhere else, and it's just it's in my heart, and it's, it's, it's just amazing. And I, I, can't, I can't describe it, but it, it's what makes me want to go again and again and again. So... Outstanding. Can, is, there a, is there a person or a moment from those eight trips that kind of stands out for you? Yeah, I, I think a, a couple of years ago, there was this one kid, uh, his name was Angel, which, so I, uh, backtracking a little, I feel like the trip is, it, it's kind of, a lot of people think of it as just a construction trip where you go and you build a house for these people and they get it and that's that. But one, uh, there's so much more to it and one of those aspects is, just the kids and relationships you build. And that being said, there was this one kid, Angel, who was just, he wasn't a part of the family. He was just one kid running around in the barrio, but he, uh, he, he just stuck. He was so happy, like, meeting new people and seeing all these new faces. And I guess he just stuck with me and a couple other people. And I remember talking to him. And I'm kind of shy with my Spanish, so I don't talk to a lot of the adults, but I would, I would talk to him and I would practice with him. And it was a a give and take, and he, he walked me down the street to, to like a convenience store, I remember, and he bought like an orange juice for, or I bought an orange juice for him or something, and it's just building that relationship and seeing something like that sprout out of just, just something, like just a trip down to Rocky Point is, it's amazing to me. It's something that I never would have experienced had I not stepped out of my comfort zone and, or been dragged out of my comfort zone by my mom. <laughs> <laughs> That's outstanding. That's good parenting right there. Hey, thank you so much for sharing with us. Awesome. Really appreciate it. Thanks.
you know, we, we don't know what we don't know. And so, you know, on this first trip, he's saying, I'm not interested. I'm not interested in doing something like that. But then he goes, and, okay, this is, this is something different than I thought it would be. And then he committed to it for, for eight times. It's just, it's just an incredible uh, experience. You know, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. And he, he didn't just talk to the remaining 11 disciples at that point. He wasn't just referring to them or to super Christians over the past 2,000 years or to these two who came up here and shared their story or to the people who are in the booths just outside who are representing their ministry areas and excited to share with you what God is doing in and through them, etc. God wasn't just speaking to those select individuals. He's targeting all of us when he says, go. Go and make disciples of all nations. Go and, and see the world. It's so good for your heart. How beautiful are the feet of those who go downtown Phoenix and serve food for a home for the homeless, hope for the homeless. How beautiful are the feet of those who, who stand at a, at, a, at a table, at a packing station, and compete with other tables who are packing food for starving children around the world. How beautiful are the feet of those who walk around the church when we host the family promise uh, for, the, for the week there, the families that are, that are in desperate need of a place to stay so they can get uh, on their feet again. How beautiful are the feet of those who, who walk around in the airport anxiously awaiting their first time getting on a, on a plane to go to some kind of international mission trip, just not sure what it's going to look like, what it's going to feel like, yet their toes were pointing in that direction to say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to follow this calling, I'm going to take this opportunity. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now you may have noticed that we haven't taken up an offering yet here this morning. And the reason for that is that this is a special Sunday, uh, usually twice a year, we take up an offering that is our outreach offering where every dollar goes outside of these walls towards the ministries we feel as a church called to pour into. They're listed on that Go card. If you, either you have one or they're available in the lobby if you'd like. But there's, uh, there's a number of ministries and all the money coming in today will go towards those ministries, which are the ones we believe that God is calling us to support and uh, pour into. When we are citizens of the kingdom, Similar to the whole going piece, it's not that some are called to be generous and then the others are, are free from that and get to focus on other things. We are all called to live generously in the same way that we are all called to go and see and be a part of what God is doing in other parts of the country, in other parts of the world. How beautiful are the hearts of those who realize I have much and there is great need. How beautiful are the hearts of those who say, I'm resourced and I wanna make a difference. I wanna make a difference with what God has entrusted to me here in this city, in this country, around the world. The band's gonna come out and lead us in one final song. And during that song, we're gonna take up our outreach offering. And uh, as, as we move into that time, I want to pray with you. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, once again, I, I thank you for, for your grand story and that you've invited us to be part of it. Father, I pray now that you would uh, 
you would pour wisdom into us as a church as we continue to pursue how you want us to use these, uh, these dollars that we have, we have put a lot of time into uh, identifying organizations to connect with, et cetera. God, I pray that you would bless that whole process and bless this moment right here where the resources that come in can be used for your glory, for your kingdom, for your story, we pray. Amen.